Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. My guest today is uh, my friend Seda Collier. Uh, you might remember about a year about a year ago, Seda was on the podcast for the first time. That that podcast was interesting because Seda had reached out to me after reading my book, Embodied. Seda is a trans woman. Uh, she read my book, really loved it, uh, had some questions, reached out to me, and we had a couple email exchanges. And I said, hey, why don't uh, let's I think we set up like a time to like Zoom chat to get to know each other more. And I said, hey, why don't we just get to know each other more on the podcast? I'll just hit record. And so that's what we did. So our first time actually talking to each other, at least online, was uh, recorded in real time. Again, I think it was last fall, maybe. So we've uh, kept up since then. Uh, Seda came out to the Exiles in Babylon conference where uh, we were able to see each other for the first time. We, you know, we exchange emails and, and we chat periodically. So I wanted to bring her back on the podcast, but I said, Seda, would you want to come back on the podcast and you be the host? Like you interview me. And at first she was like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't do that. I'm like, no, no. Like here, here's my motivation. Like I, I'm not trans. I write this book on transgender identities, which is a very daring some might even say audacious thing to do. So I would love to take the back seat here and let a trans uh, gender person, a trans woman, um, yeah, have, have have at it. Whatever, whatever questions you have, pushbacks, whatever you want to do, uh, it, it, the, the floor is yours. So um, that's what we do in this podcast. We talk about several different things. The main leading question, which took about a half hour to actually come back to after we after Seda asked me it, she was pushing back against my biblical argument against transitioning, which I have in the book. I make the argument. Um, somewhat cautiously, but I did give reasons why I don't think transitioning uh, resonates with God's intent. Say to uh, transitioned over 10 years ago and isn't quite convinced, I'll say it like that, of my argument. So we get into some details uh, surrounding that and other things. So anyway, that's uh, what this podcast is all about. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, please welcome back to the show for the second time, the one and only Seda Collier. Seda, thanks for coming back on Theology to Rob. I thought of this a while back when we decided to do another podcast. And I was like, you know what? There, there, it does take a little bit of audacity. I don't want to frame it negatively, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm somebody who doesn't experience gender dysphoria. I'm not trans and I write a whole book on transgender identities. Some people think that that should, shouldn't be done, right? Like if, if you don't have this experience, you're not allowed to say anything. I don't believe that because... Yeah, the conversation, and obviously I'm not writing a memoir. I, I, I'm not claiming to have the experience at all. Um, I'm trying to, you know, approach it relationally as much as I can. But but this conversation does raise lots of ethical, theological, scientific questions and stuff that um, I think, yeah, I just want to know how to navigate and, and and know find some kind of answer to some of these hard questions. Anyway, that's a long way to say I think it's okay to write the book, and yet I do. I am. I am nervous about writing something like I wasn't <laughs> nervous about doing it because I don't have that experience. So yeah, I'm in this in-between space. Anyway, Seda, I would love for you to have the complete freedom to ask me to push any question you want, push back, criticize parts of the book, praise parts of whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do. Um, this interview is, is in your court. So you can have, take it however you, whatever direction you want to take Seda. <laughs> I'm rambling Sounds because I'm good. nervous. I'm <laughs> I just keep talking, even though I say I'm not supposed to be talking. I'm like kind of nervous right now. I'll stop. Okay. Yeah. I, I, 
really admire your work. I like your work. Um, I respect it. Um, I think I agree with you on on writing that. Um, I, and I think that your work, your ministry, is is like a, a city on a hill. It's mm-hmm. it's like the um, the light of it is is a, a beacon of hope for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Or you know, it should yeah. be for me, it is. Yeah. So so on this, I, I think we agree with a lot more than we disagree. Mm-hmm. But on this one subject that I'm going to talk about um, today, or, or start talking about, yeah. is something that we disagree about. So impor- I think it's important to your work, it's important to my life, because I am a transgender Christian. Your work is with transgender LGBT Christians and, and people in general. Um, and so I think it's, it's uh, something that can be really meaningful. The other thing, I'm going to enter into this through a podcast you had with Dr. Abigail Favali, um, your uh, podcast number 886. And want to be clear also that um, um, Dr. Favali can view this and I would welcome her rebuttal. Okay. Um, we did have a really nice, after I, I listened to the podcast, we had a really nice uh, email conversation. She lived in Oregon at the time. I understand she's um, in the process or has already moved to Notre Dame. I hope she does well there. I'm sure she will. But <laughs> but obviously we're not, you know, we were close enough that we could have like taken a, a day on a weekend or something and met and we talked about that, but she was busy and mm-hmm. it, it ended up dropping off of, I think, both of our calendars and, yeah. and, and getting lost in the cracks. So the the question I want to start out with is from a comment you made in that um, podcast where you said, I can't make a good ethical case for transition for transgender Christians. Mm-hmm. And my response to that is that I've never heard any person, whether Christian or not, make a good case um, that transition in general and mine specifically mm-hmm is inherently and always unethical and in conflict with Christianity. Mm. Okay. Um, I've found that that in my experience, um, my transition was was key to to growing in faith mm-hmm. and to to experience the fruit of the spirit. You know, like it says in Galatians, what is it? Five. I forget that. Five, yeah, yeah five something. <laughs> five something. <laughs> five twenty two or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we could Google it, but that would, yeah, a little <laughs> speed bump in our conversation. <laughs> right, exactly. So, so in this conversation, I want to see if we can pull those together. Mm-hmm. If we can't, um, I, I don't have any expectations about it. My my expectations on this is that we're going to have a good conversation. Hopefully, yeah. move this in a way that will actually um, help other Christians or other transgender people to navigate this yeah. this um, this situation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So your so your question is what is in a sense it's kind of turning around that comment. So what is an ethical theological, whatever case, um, against transitioning. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and you made it, you made it in yeah. your book and body. Right. And which I have here on my iPad right next to me. Okay. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should get my copy out, but I should, I should, uh, I should remember what I said. Um, yeah, no, I mean, actually, um, yeah, that, that's, uh, obviously, a, a 
a huge question in general, but obviously for, for, for your life. And even, um, I do remember really hesitating writing that chapter or going into it. I, I think in my first few paragraphs, I'm even like, I almost don't want to write this chapter. Um, but it seems, Oh yeah. It seems disingenuous. Like, well, you're going to talk about this topic and not <laughs> address that question. Um, just because what well, it's, 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 relationally difficult to address. Um, so yeah, I, I was, I was nervous going in and, and I, I, I have a few caveats up front. First of all, you are among a few friends that I have, um, let alone other people that I've met along the way where based on their testimony, transitioning was a sort of, and I don't know if, if everyone would put it in these terms, but almost like a latch di- ditch effort to survive. Um, there was just so much, debilitating, um, uh, depression, anxiety, suicidality. I mean, uh, whatever term you want to, I know gender dysphoria is kind of its own thing, but just, it's just, I could not move forward in life. And then post transition, they, they, including you, you know, have experienced life much more fully. Not that all, all the problems or whatever struggles went away. Not, Not that the dysphoria went completely away, but it was, significantly minimized to where it was livable. Um, would that be an accurate way to just sum up how you would look back on your transition? I mean, you, that was like almost, almost uh, yeah. 18 years that ago. Was, um, I, I started transition in 2000, like January 1st, 2007. So it's a, it's an wow. easy date to remember. Right. Right. Um, had surgery in, in, uh, January, uh, or not, uh, July 23rd, yeah. Um, 2013. So, you know, that's, we're coming up on nine year anniversary and it's like, right. wow. wow. <laughs> you know, it's like life keeps getting better, huh. you know, going back to your book, actually a quote from embodied is, I think there are good biblical and ethical reasons why a disciple of Jesus should not transition. I want to say, I agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. hundred okay. percent. And um, what I would also say is that, um, I don't think there are good biblical and ethical reasons that no disciple of Jesus ever okay. should transition. So for you, there's a lot of wrong reasons for transitioning, but there, but we shouldn't, from your view, it shouldn't be stated absolutely like as a category for all people. It's not an absolute. Right. right. Okay. Right. And we've even talked before about some of the rise in the teenagers transitioning and, and some of the medical approaches there where both of us would be really right. Um, not like pretty <laughs> nervous about that to say the least. Okay. So we, let, we, we can get back to that later on. Right. Right. Okay. Remember I'm in the driver's seat. So, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna... <laughs> yes, you hold me to this. Don't let me wander. Santa. Don't let me get away. Okay. So let, let me, um, my, my one, one more caveat and then I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, um, sum up my case. I do think that there is more ambiguity, less clarity on this question than other questions. For instance, the question about the the definition of marriage. Um, from my view, you know, I hold to a I not only hold to a traditional or historically Christian view of marriage, but I think that man, I, th- I think there's a lot more clarity in Scripture on that. That that sex difference in marriage is is. You know, we have several statements along those lines. We have mm-hmm. statements about what kinds of sex, sexual relationships are valid or not. And there's just really direct, clear statements there t- from my point of view. Um, and we can bring up a whole host of other theological questions where it's like on the scale of clarity to less clear, you know, it's like we can figure out 
you know, where, where we're at on that. And, and I would say that there's less clarity on this question, specifically the absolute nature of it. Are there, could there be some exceptions to maybe a general paradigm? And that's where I'm like, well, here's where I'm at. Here's why, but I'm, I'm, I'm certainly open um, to be shown where my thinking is flawed. And, and I would recognize that there's some, we're, we're going on some broad theological themes not just specific statements in, in scripture. Whenever you do that, you you, you should right. be a little a little more open handed. So, having said yeah. all that, here's here's how yeah. I, I hold, guess hold I would on. hold on. Yeah, hold hold on to that. Okay, okay. Because I want to move to something else. I want to move something that I've been thinking about a lot. Okay, and and get your thoughts on that. And that is again, I'm, I'm I want to stick with our with your interview with with uh, Abigail for a okay. while, uh, Doctor Papali. Um, and in it, you discussed um, gender as a social construct and all of that stuff. You agreed that gender has a uh, biological basis. Um, I agree with that. But the gender role, gender expression, gender stereotypes are all social constructs. Yeah. And you even talked about in that, that, you know, in the way that some people and probably, and no probably about it, some uh, trans activists talk about gender there are like literally seven billion some gender identities (laughs) talked about the gender identity of precedent (laughs) i mean that was that was from your interview (laughs) but i want to i want to take it a step further okay and i want to say um is gender identity itself a social construct Ooh. um Gender identity, because I, I would say the modern definition of gender. And if somebody's new to this podcast or they're you know whatever, when everything you're saying about gender, social construct, repeating what I have said, that's according to the more modern use of the term gender when it's used not to refer to biological sex. So I don't think biological sex is a social construct, but how we express ourselves—pink, blue long hair short hair there yeah there there's socially constructed uh, things that go into that the, the reason why pink is an a, a a female gender expression is because of culture modern american culture there's nothing intrinsically female about the color pink so um gender identity i would say it yes so, well i would say it has elements of social construction I'm thinking out loud here, Seda. So, um, can, it, can I butt in with some of my thoughts and see how that informs yours? Well, let, let me, let me, yes, let, let me finish this thought real quick. So, um, and, and I'm, I'm thinking like if somebody says my my gender identity is female, and I ask them, hey, can you explain why that is? They would probably, probably describe femaleness in ways as as a gender identity in ways that are grabbing onto culture constru- cultural constructions around what it is to be a f- female. Is that, if that makes sense? Uh, Absolutely. It does. Yeah. But my thoughts on it, cause I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot and, and I think that all identities that, that identity itself mm-hmm. is a social construct that, that, yeah. you know, like faith identity, right. Um, my faith identity as a Christian is a social construct. It's created in a context 
of other people who share that same faith. So whatever your identity, whatever identity you have, or whatever identity you choose for yourself as your social, as, as you know, as yeah. who you are is, is a chosen or socially imposed self-reference that may or may not be rooted in reality. That's the way I describe it. Oh, that's a, right. So, that, did you make that up? That's a great, uh, that's, that's a great I phrase. think so. Although, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Yes, in the sense that I, if I, if I took it from someone else, I don't know where that okay, was. Yeah. It, yeah. It's something that I took in at some point, but, but yeah, but it, it makes sense. Identity is a chosen or socially imposed self-reference that may or may not be rooted in reality. So, yeah. for instance, you know, take race, right? Race is an identity that is socially imposed. Yeah. But but we take that in, right? So I totally mm-hmm. identify as white because as far as I know, I have no ancestors mm-hmm. from south of Alsace-Lorraine um, in the last 500 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, like, and I do want to say too, uh, sometimes <laughs> just because it, something is a social construct or informed by social construct constructs doesn't mean it's wrong or bad or anything. We're social beings. Absolutely. I mean, Christian, it could be a, has so- social elements to it as an identity, you know? Um, so sure. yeah, it's not because some people think, Oh, it's, if you say it's a social construct, then, then you're dismissing it. I'm like, no, I'm just saying our mm-hmm. current society informs the, whatever this thing we're talking about. Right. Well, take the identity, sex identity, right? Identity of male and female. It's a social construct because you take that in. But if you lived on an island somewhere where you never encountered a female, right? All the all the people are males, like Preston. Um, would would your sex identity have any meaning? See, I don't I, know I, that it would. That's an interesting question. I, I would say I I don't think biological sex is. A social construct. I, I think it has. I don't either. Okay. Um, I, I, I don't either. In, but I'm. I'm saying I think your sex identity. Oh, oh, is, oh You know, oh. is a social construct. What's the difference? So I think I know what you're saying, but what's the what's the difference between <laughs> the di- the your difference, sex and your sex the, identity? The, your sex identity is you, is you take that in as you know as you present, for instance, your sexual identity is as male, right? biologically you are male uh-huh. your identity is rooted in reality you're in in that case right so and, uh, like occupational identity right so take me for instance i work for the government mm-hmm. right so i have an uh, uh, an occupational identity as a, a public servant right but i also have a, a maybe an imposed um identity from a certain segment of the of the population as a bureaucrat. Well, that you know, it's, it's it says the same thing, but which one am I going to adopt? I'm probably public servant because it's you know, mm. public, bureaucrat doesn't sound so good. But there, it's re, it's it's a reality in either way. Mm. In the same way, you can have um, identities that don't reflect reality, right? right? So you were talking in a recent podcast about um, furries, which is something I'm not familiar with. <laughs> oh, you got Google. Google. Well, actually, no, don't Google. It, but, yeah. but, uh, but I understand from that. It's somebody who, is, who has adopted a species identity as something other than human, homo sapiens, even though they are homo sapiens. Right? Right. So you've adopted an identity that does not reflect reality. 
Yeah. It, it, uh, for, just to be, uh, fur, furries are a little more complex than that. They, I don't think they, many of them wouldn't actually think they're a different species, but they would um, kind of uh, take on, as far as I understand, it's more like a role. Play. It's almost like, uh, it, well, it'd be similar to how some people describe drag, you know, where it's almost like a performing mm-hmm. thing. Not that they actually think they are this or whatever, but they um, would, would, yeah, maybe you should just Google it because I, I wasn't prepared to talk about fur, furries, but um, yeah. No, I, I don't want to talk about furries anyway. Okay. It's, uh, I'm talking about identity here. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, that's okay. I, I, it's kind of like when, um, did you, uh, did you see the movie? Um, oh, what's the one? Uh, Jumanji with uh, The Rock. <laughs> did you see that? Uh, it has uh, Jack, uh, Jack Black. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there, there are these avatars in a video game, whatever. And, and, and uh jack black who's um who's a female in a uh well interestingly in in this male bodied avatar in this video game you know so female but it's jack black you know um and right. they see, sees the rock and and she jack says that there's a, that's a man right there you know <laughs> and to to your point she wasn't saying he wasn't saying like that's a biological male, but like that's a man. He's muscular, just ripped. He's huge. He's strong, chiseled face, you know. But that that is more like that spills over now into more of a social construction of what it means to be a man, you know, man, man, a manly sure. man, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. He he was making a statement of more, but than just acknowledging the biological sex of that person. So it sounds like that's kind of what you're saying that even being a man or a woman has socially constructed elements as an identity. Is that, um, yeah, the, that identity itself mm. is socially constructed and it can be either rooted in reality or okay. it can yeah. diverge from reality. Right. Yeah. And I, I think the, the objection that, um, I'm, I'm going to call it non-affirming people or Christians have about trans identities is is that that our identities are are not um, they're not an accurate they're not rooted in reality. Okay. Right. The, I'm going to be all over the map here a little bit, but okay. I think that's okay. But hopefully, it'll come back to come together. <laughs> <laughs> is it all all the years of psychedelics? Is that what? <laughs> hey, I didn't do that many. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, I, I've told your story several times where you met Jesus on a acid trip back in, or your, yeah, that's a yeah. crazy story. That's insane. Yeah. Well, it, it is, it is. And what's really interesting about it is, you know, meeting, um, well, it, it, it's, it's, it's like Matthew chapter four in a way. Um, <laughs> but in a way, the, the inverse well, I, I, don't yeah, I don't want to go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It'd be great to talk about that. Like, I mean, that could be a whole podcast <laughs> in itself. <laughs> um, but so, so building on that, Abigail said the body reveals the person mm-hmm. um, in that podcast, and I think that seems to me to be very simplistic. Now, what she means is that the the maleness of a person 
reveals the essential truth about that person. And, and it seems to me that it's the essential truth, right? But, but how else do you apply that? For instance, what does Stephen Hawking's body say about him? Mm-hmm. Right? The body does reveal something about the person. I'll agree with that. But it doesn't reveal the person. It reveals an aspect or maybe a few aspects of the person. Like, you know, we frequently, all too frequently hear about some um, professional athlete who has an absolutely beautiful body who does some really reprehensible thing Mm -hmm. like Kareem Hunt, right? The video of him um, pushing and kicking a woman, Mm. right? I mean, this big, strong. So, what does his body reveal about him? I, I would say that that action actually reveals more about him, or a, a very significant aspect about him, than um, you know, just the body itself. So, and and the other thing about it is, what does that say about you know, is the brain part of the body? Right. Yeah. That that's. Yeah. <laughs> that that that's where when now, people about this. when when people push back against certain trans, certain trans ideologies, you will never hear me say transgender ideology in the singular SATA. Um, uh, Yay. Thank you. Yes. I mean, you, you, uh, I was already on board with that and you reminded <laughs> me of that. Um, but when certain, when some people typically more politically conservatives attack what they think is transgender ideology in the singular, they often just say, this is just biology. This is just whatever. And it's like, we well, yeah, the, you're, you're ignoring the whole complexity between biological sex and the brain and the brain is part of biology. So just to say biology is not, it's just sloppy really. Um, and if I, if I, if I've done right. that, then I, I would sloppy when I don't think I've done that, but, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. Maybe in passing and um, in, in certain conversations, I might say, so, why should I typically don't say well, it's, like snippet, like Twitter type phrases in a complex conversation. So. Yeah, well, um, I, I think those are forgivable. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so should I answer the question then? And then, um, it's, yeah, sure. Okay, so it's related to what you're going with identity. Um, so I would say, so is transitioning compatible with a um, a biblical view of human nature, whatever? And I. Um, suggested not again with some level of like, Hey, there's some, there's some complexity here. There's body brain complexity. There's scientific complexity. There's less scriptural clarity. But as I, as I, you know, look at the totality of scripture, there's several things that I um, see um, that the biggest one is the starting point of, and this is summarizing my chapter, which you've you've read, but um, that God, creates humans as male and female in Genesis one. And that, that biological sex identity that God has given us through our bodies, um, is related to how we bear God's image. It's, it's in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them so that there seems to be some kind of relationship between bearing God's image and our, and our biological, uh, sex. We see throughout scripture, you know, um, a and this is where we kind of, it's a theological big picture, but like a Judeo Christian view of, of, uh, human nature does have like a high reverence for the body. Um, and then that's in a world where there's lots of other philosophies that didn't have that view. Um, 
Platonism and Neoplatonism had a more negative view of the body. And then you have in, you know, the first few centuries after Christianity started, you know, Gnosticism and other, um, other kind of mm -hmm. forms of Christianity also took on more of a Neoplatonist view of, of the body. Um, so you have the image of God re related to bearing God's, uh, bearing God's image as male and female. And then you do have a few places in scripture where maintain like, um, maintaining distinctions between male and female are upheld. So, you know, you had the cross-dressing prohibition, which I, you know, is, if that's all we had, I'd be like, well, okay. I, I wouldn't want to plant my stake <laughs> there. There's some questions about translation or whatever, but then you have other passages like first Corinthians 11, where it seems that like the Corinthian church was kind of collapsing like male, female identities. And Paul says, no, let's, let's maintain these distinctions. Um, so you do have a few passages throughout that scripture that seems too. to, seems to affirm the Genesis one and two, um, mm -hmm. picture of humanity. So that's a really short, I, I would actually, yeah, yeah, I would actually, I would actually, um, affirm that as well. Um, but you know, but again, we have certain things that, that indicate something that there are exceptions. Right. Um, and, um, you talk about brain sex theory and that it's yeah. inconsistent. And what I find interesting about that is, is that Abigail says brain sex theory fails because the scientific evidence or data is contradictory, contradictory and, and inconsistent. And I would say, yeah, ish, but there's some there, there, right? Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm I'm gonna jump ahead here, Preston, yeah. because what I'm kind of building to is is that what it means to be trans, which is a question you ask in that interview, yeah. is is that you have is that a transgender person has a subconscious sex that is different than their right. biological sex. Yeah, right. And, and that's so. Yeah. Which is which is different than gender identity. Right. We use the term throughout um, the way that the medical establishment, the psychological establishment and so on. Talk about it. We talk about gender identity and and there's some things that are really don't seem to work. Um, with that, let me, let me let me just read. Have you seen the um, what? the American Psychological Association says about transgender. What does transgender mean? Uh, I'm sure I've um, read it. This but is, I this is yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll read straight from their website. Yeah. Transgender is an umbrella term for persons whose gender identity, gender expression, or behavior yeah. does not conform to that typically associated with the sex to which they were assigned at birth. Mm -hmm. By that definition, that's like what 30, 40, 50% of the population. <laughs> yeah. That definition, I think that definition is propped up by gender stereotypes without acknowledging it. Like, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's why that, um, that whole branch, why, why we get into so much trouble in our whole, um, the, the way that this whole conversation goes is because we haven't been able to identify what being trans really is, right? So we're, we're yeah. you know, this is the American psychological state. This is like, you know, medical professionals yeah. or, or healthcare professionals who are making this claim that 
that is clearly based not on biological reality, mm. but on gender stereotypes and and this thing called gender identity, mm. which I think is a, a social construct. And again, you know, I have to make that caveat. I'm I'm not a healthcare professional. I'm not yeah. a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist or anything like this. I'm just somebody who's looking at it and going, you know, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, you're you're well you're well read, dude. I don't sell yourself. Oh yeah. Too, I, mean, I mean, you don't I mean, just the, have the, the experience, the experience, obviously, but I mean, you're very well read in this area. And I would like, I would also like to say, when it comes to this science, the quote unquote science around sex and gender and all this. I'm very unimpressed with people's credentials. Some of the some of the stuff they say that's so mm-hmm. inaccurate. It's so it's clearly ideologically driven that it's like, oh, I think it's this is kind of fair game for sides. anybody because the the quote unquote experts don't know what yeah. they're talking about. So <laughs> exactly, you know, on the other on the other hand, you have you know, like on one side, you have somebody like Paul McHugh, who's like this very well credentialed doctor right. who you read what he actually says, and it's like he he didn't even look at anybody. He he knew what he was. He knew his conclusion before he interviewed those trans women. They were trans women, um, you know, when he first started back in the 70s. Or you look at, say, um, you know, uh, Dr. Thomas Bevan, right? You, you quoted mm-hmm. from his book, The Psychobiology of, of Transgenderism and trans, uh, Transsexualism. He or they or she comes to the conclusion, she's trans, um, come to the conclusion that uh, transgenderism is a be- benign behavioral phenomenon, right? Hmm. Well, it's not benign if it causes people such severe distress that they commit suicide or that they need some really invasive surgery in order to find relief. Yeah. That's not benign, right? That's a disorder. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and yeah. and I think, yeah. I think where we need to go with, with the whole trans conversation is away from gender identity hmm. and toward um, identifying as subconscious sex, right? So this that, is this is I'm taking this directly from Julia Serrano. I want to make sh- you know, okay, this is not original to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to attribute this where it belongs. But Julia Serrano, who is a uh, a feminist radical trans woman, mm-hmm. um, who is as far as I know not Christian at all. No, yeah. yet she's <laughs> the one who identified that you know her experience of being trans is that her subconscious sex meaning that part of her that there's a part of her brain that truly believes that her body is female that's my experience yeah yeah you know and and it's it's the part of the brain you can't access consciously and, okay, and so, so that's what you mean by so it's subconscious sex is a form of kind of brain sex theory right in a way but but brain sex theory is talking about that you have male brains and and female brains right, right right and you can get into the wrong brain and the wrong body and and I think this is completely not completely different but I think this is significantly different right because in the way that that seems to me to be consistent with all the data points scientific data points scriptural data points um and and testimony of transgender people mm-hmm. 
including people who have transitioned and then detransitioned, mm-hmm. is it's not like you have a male brain and a female brain. I think I think there's a lot of data that says that that isn't the case, but that every brain does have a subconscious sex, right? There is there is a part of your brain that is engaged in in what your body is what your body looks like that that is connected to the sexual organs if that makes sense that's interesting so let me i guess my pushback or disagreement Mm -hmm. more of a yeah yeah is that sex as a thing is intrinsically anatomical i almost said biological Mm -hmm. but it's Mm -hmm. It's an, there isn't like subconscious sex is not a thing that can be subconscious. It's it's a the term sex is describing anatomical bodies. And but if you say, brain, well, no, it can't. We we need a term to describe the sexual dimorphic nature of Homo sapiens as mammals. Um, mm-hmm. So if sex isn't that then we need a ter- term to describe that like how how would you describe the fact that mammals sex. are sexually dimorphic because that means it that, is sex huh it is sex so then but that but then we can't use sex to describe something that's something different something that's subconscious but you have both right there's there's a part of your brain that is that is instinctive that like the amygdala and the the yeah hypothalamus right that is associated with things like emotion Mm -hmm. right oh i feel like a woman well what does that mean right right um that doesn't really make sense because because that you know how do you even like what does that relate that i mean yeah yeah yeah. i mean it it doesn't make sense the category of woman is not a feeling right it's a it's an objective state right exactly and and you know so you're not saying so just to be clear for the people listening so when you say subconscious sex you're you're saying this is something different than when people say i feel like a woman therefore i am a woman it's more than a feeling more than a feeling (laughs) (laughs) it's it's actually it's actually it's really it's it's hard to describe because it's not it's not something that's accessible through conscious thought right so how do you describe something? Okay, so so how do you describe the the blue sky to a person who has been blind from birth? Okay. Right? But the sky is still blue, right? Okay. <laughs> no, that's um, interesting. Yeah. Uh, okay. I mean, this is this is really hard to even explain, but and but it, it's it's probably a lot easier for me because because there is no way that a person who is I'm going to use the word normal mm-hmm. although I don't like to use that in this context typical but, I I, typ- I, I typically typical. use typical rather, rather than abnormal normal yeah typically that would be a better way to do it yeah um, <laughs> so yeah <laughs> you know someone who is typical um, will never be aware of the of the that subconscious sex even exists but the way julia serrano described it is that there that there's a part of her brain that's absolutely convinced from you know from the beginning that um that her genitals were female genitals right but wouldn't you and say- i totally relate to that yeah 
and, and I have but ze- you can't access it. I have zero disagreement with the lived experience. I mean, that's mm-hmm. yeah. And and I think I you know five years ago or even three years ago, I would have said dismiss that as like well whatever who can, you know. But I'm like I I don't want to dismiss lived experience. I don't think you can build a case just on that. But I, I want to take that very seriously. And so yeah, I'll 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 I have kind of zero comment about. Um, I have I, obviously I can't even understand what it is to to live a, what you're describing as subconscious sex. But wouldn't it? I mean, going back can to the original, you, can I tell you what it was for me? Sure. I mean, there's lots of different ways, but one of the ways is that it felt like like there was an internal war, that there was an internal war that I didn't really have full access to, that was ongoing and constant. Um, and it's reflected in, in dreams that I had, the, this recurring dream that went, that I had for years and years and years, where in my dream I would encounter this man who would just stand there and who was, I knew, threatened my life. Wow. Um, and, and so I would attack this, this man, right, male. Um, with all kinds of different weapons, different dreams. It's like everything from guns, clubs, knives, uh, baseball bats, um, fists, you know, um, mm. in all kinds of different ways. And, and the man would just stand there. And wow. whatever I did would not, would not harm him, no matter how violent it was. And it was absolutely terrifying. And, and, it wasn't until after I transitioned that I realized that that man was the male persona I'd been trying to hold on to, mm-hmm. right, for all that time. And unfortunately, our time is getting short, and <laughs> I have to go to work. Oh, so gosh, there's, okay. There's, I mean, yeah, and and so well, there's a few things that I want to get to. Well, um, let me at least yeah, add uh, one, one thing regarding – so. When you say subconscious sex, I'm going back to your original definition of an identity as something that may or may not be rooted in reality. I would say if a if if a biological female has a subconscious sex that is not female, then that identity, as strong as it is and as real as it is as an experience, is still not rooted in in reality because the person is factually female or factually male based on their biology. Would that be? <laughs> that that actually gets to the question you ask in your in your book embodied it's all it's based on this question that's repeated throughout if someone experiences incongruence between their gender and their biological right. sex which one determines who they are yeah. and why yeah 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 and my question for you is why which one why not both well I would say both are possible for sure as an identity. Um, a, a male can certainly identify as something other as than, a reality, um, because the our brain is part of our body. Right, right, right. I, well, I see that that's really sound like brain sex theory, and that's where I get. <laughs> it's not. It's not. No, I, I, I think it's distinct from brain sex theory. Right, because brain sex theory says male brain and female brain. Is my yeah. understanding. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, and that's not the case, right? But but you know, if you look at intersex, you have some intersex conditions that you re- can't really say. Well, is this person ontologically female, 
or is this person ontologically male? Like, like, um, well, that's, you're talking about someone yeah. who has, who has both XX and XY chromosomes, right? But so, that's, um, that's because there is ambiguity in the anatomical, right? Biological because sex. you can, because you can measure it because you can see it. Well, the, well, not necessarily. It's, it's the very thing that we're talking about biological sex. There is ambiguity there. So if we ask the question, is this person male or female mm-hmm. based on the very meaning of sex, there might be some ambiguity there. Whereas somebody who doesn't have a sex right. condition, there's no ambiguity in the sex based on the definition of sex. Until you say that the brain <laughs> is part of the body and is part of the sexual anatomy of the human being, which I find it really hard to say it's not. Well, that I, I can't. I just sound so much like brain sex. <laughs> but because it, it, if you say the brain is part of sexual different. anatomy, that is the essence of brain sex theory. That that the brain, the state of the brain, contributes to whether a person is male or female. And I would say it, it doesn't. That um, the brain. I would acknowledge that males and females have general patterns of behavior and interests and thoughts that are different on a general level, but not on an absolute level. The brain's not sexually dimorphic like the body is, but, but see now I'm, I'm punching in the wind because you're saying, well, yeah, I'm not even, I'm not trying to argue for brain sex theory. (laughs) That's, that's exactly right. What I'm, what I'm, what I'm arguing for is that, that where the data points line up is that transgenderism is a neurological disorder. Mm -hmm. To me, you would I say mean, that you're fine I'm, with that phrase because some people would find that offensive, right? A neuro. neuro oh yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Oh yeah. I'm. I, I believe there are plenty of people, but but I think that it is, and I think that that it where it's found is that for whatever reason, and I think it's complex, and it probably includes the the uh, BNST or or BSDC, whatever you want to call it, which is you know, yeah, um, the part of the brain. Right. Right. And in, in, in embodied, you talk about, or, or you cite a study that talks about how, um, they've discovered that, that the, uh, BSTC, the way you put it in that is, is the BSTC doesn't mature. It doesn't become fully mature until like, um, I don't know, age, you know, 2025, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is a data point that is that it can be used to say, well, what does that have to do with with the subconscious sex then, with with actual, you know, something different in the brain being trans? But I look at that and I compare that to another data point: the fact that um, among adolescents who experience gender dysphoria, um, depending on the study, I think it's like sixty six percent to eighty eight percent. Yeah, resolve. Yeah. To me, that that those line up, right? I mean, that's like what would you expect of something of an organ that doesn't mature until that point, hmm. or a you know a, a part of the brain that doesn't mature until that point? Is is yeah, you know, as it matures, it revol- resolves for a lot of people. This is actually the the thing that has that really turned me away from you know like like ten years ago. 
um, or so. I was I was an advocate for early transition for really? adolescents for mm-hmm. you know yeah absolutely for for like medical transition. I was like yeah what, what how would my life have been different mm-hmm. had I started transition when I was like thirteen you know and right. and and running around wearing wearing my mom's or sister's clothes part of the time and the rest of the time really like working really hard to prove that I was a man you know, <laughs> or that I was a boy in the case, you know, I mean, seriously, you know, the, I don't know if you're familiar with, with the book that, um, uh, William Decker wrote to be a man. No, you know, uh, I've I read that it, yeah. as a textbook. Huh. It's, it's a novel, you know, and I was reading it as a textbook, you know, wow. to be a man, this is what I need to do. You know, uh, didn't work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But but um, I did want to cover cover a couple more things. Yeah, and and then I have like a hundred thousand more questions to ask <laughs> you. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. but um, in the interview with Abigail, she yeah. says a temptation is a promise that can't deliver, and ultimately, trans identification is a temptation because it promises something that can't be delivered. Mm. And I want to push back on that a little bit because what did transition promise? For me, yeah. it promised relief from gender dysphoria. Right. And it delivered. Yeah. Right. Did it like now, you, you it, were on a scale of one to 10? Were you like at a, your dysphoria like at a 10 before and now it's a zero or how would you map it out? When I start when I started transition, I was, I was off the scale. Really, I was like, my my transition was so severe that that it was really, really, really hard to function at all. Your your dysphoria was so severe. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a year after I transitioned, um, I overheard my son playing with his next door neighbor friend from across the street who watched this whole thing happen, and his friend said, "Don't you miss having a dad?" And Trin said, "No, I like her much better as a woman." Now, why is that? It's because all of a sudden, instead of having this this disengaged, depressed mess hmm. of a father, he had a parent who was engaged, who was available, who was yeah. able to express love, who was you know hmm. who was who was alive. So um, she follows that up. Um, with with by saying that um that it transition promises that you can become something other than what you are but that's not true for me because her promise right what what it promises is that I'm I'm a transgender woman right which by definition right. is a male with a subconscious sex of female Okay, that's that's my definition, right? Because I'm using right. subconscious sex instead of gender identity, because gender identity is is not a trustworthy term. Really, you'd say that? Okay, I absolutely, I would absolutely say that. You know, you look at all the different gender identities today. You look at all the work that Judy Butler did with um, gender as a social construct. All of that comes down to gender identity, and you have people who have gender identities that have nothing to do with male or female, but gender exists in relation to sex, mm-hmm. right? Hmm. Um, she seems to be making the promise here that if I reject my trans identification, that I can become cisgender. That is not 
you know, that's something I can't do. It's like, yeah, non-trans identification is a temptation. I tried to do that for what, 35 years, really, really hard. Um, and, and so non-trans identification is a temptation because if I identify as a cisgender man, I'm still a trans woman. Yeah. If I identify as a cisgender woman, I'm still a male. Right. You know, it's a catch 22. So, um, so the temptation then is to pretend that I'm not trans. Yeah. Yeah. Trans identification I, I think her, I mean, I don't want to put words in her. I think she's probably, I mean, you, you, you are a bit of, of an anomaly, say to, <laughs> um, which, I mean, you're a great reminder that there's so much diversity within the trans conversation, but I think Abigail's probably, um, arguing against well, that statement is probably directed a, a, against somebody who thinks that they can change their anatomical sex and tra- like that biological sex can actually change, but you're, you're using the t- the term trans woman, not I am now biologically female, although subconscious sex. Sure. Yeah. So I'm, I, I, we would need to have you her. I'm going to have her on the podcast again. Uh, <laughs> but I think she's probably, probably a lot of people that are uh, arguing against a trans ideology are not going <laughs> to be addressing your, <laughs> your uh, points of view. Um, but did, did Matt Walsh miss it on his, on his, uh, his documentary? <laughs> You know, I, I appreciated the documentary and, and I obviously factually line up with a lot, a lot of what he says, but man, he, yeah, he's, there's zero nuance in, in his, the kind that the certain trans ideology that he's addressing, which he thinks it's probably the whole thing. Um, he, there's lots of complexity. I mean, no, it seems almost no awareness, even brain sex theory and why that is right or wrong, you know? So, but we, I, I didn't yeah. expect new no, ones. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> right. I actually appreciated your, uh, your, your podcast because you really uh, on that, because you really pointed that out. You, you emphasize the fact that this is just one story yeah. out of many. Yeah. Um, did you, did you watch the documentary yeah. and did you have thoughts on it? No, I'm no, not, okay. not going to sign up for the daily wire. Hopefully it'll come <laughs> out some other point where I can access it. But yeah, but no, it's, it's I had to do it for research purposes. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's a good excuse. I don't have to do it for research purposes because <laughs> I'm just living my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'd be interested in seeing it, but you know, but having your your review was good. Yeah, I um, think you would agree with you'd probably actually, yeah, appreciate a lot. No, I, I, I think I would resonate with a lot of it. It sounds like mm-hmm. you know because because I'm very skeptical of of you know a lot of the way this whole conversation is mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Um, but you know, yeah, that's just me. Yeah. Um, one more thing I'm, I'm going to have to leave, but, yeah. but, um, I, I wanted to close with one other thing that she said, because this one, this one is, it kind of hits me kind of hard. Okay. Um, she said, people might have to go to the grave struggling with gender dysphoria. Oh yeah. And, and my question is, I mean, there's, I have a number of questions about this, and we're not going to be able to address them, unfortunately, yeah. because I'm, I'm going to have to leave. Um, but, but one of my questions is, like, what is – how does my suffering from gender dysphoria bring any glory at all to God? Yeah. And I – 
It didn't. It doesn't. What does it push me to do is to lose my faith. Hmm. Because if I can't resolve it, right, then what did I do? I, I mean, it's like, what are my options? You know, because I tried everything. Yeah. Um, therapy, um, occupational therapy, going and joining the Marines and, and being a commercial fisherman, um, you know, prayer. Oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> talk, talk about, you know, Paul, um, with his, with his, he got his thorn in the side. Right. And he prays three times and, and, and God says no three mm-hmm. times. And he's like, okay, well, I guess I'll deal. You know, how many times did I pray to get rid of gender dysphoria? Um, 400,000, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, I mean, probably not that many, but you know, do you, um, but yeah, a lot. And and the answer was no. So at what point does does refusing to take no for an answer become an expression of lack of faith? You know, using using chemicals to relieve acute distress. Right. I would I would actually consider that to be, you know, neglecting my children. How about that one? Yeah. <laughs> Is yeah. that a sin? I would I would count it as a sin. You know, um, suicide. Yeah. So I wonder what other, yeah. um, what other disorders would we as Christians say, well, gee, you know, yeah, there's, there's this medical treatment you could take that would relieve the symptoms. Hmm. It's not going to change anything. It'll just relieve the symptoms, but you won't suffer. Mm-hmm. But, um, but we think it's, it's not ethical for you to do this. So just suffer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's like it's like the way I hear that is sure you'll suffer horribly for the rest of your short life, but at least you'll be welcome in church. Yeah. And after you kill yourself, we'll throw you a bang up funeral and tell you how holy you were. Wow. <laughs> Say to everything you're saying there is, is whenever just so you know, whenever I give talks on this, um I typically take everything you said in the last five minutes and set that alongside how I'm understanding scripture. And I just let it, the tension kind of linger saying, I don't have a good way to resolve this. And I think it's because of your lived experiences like you, that Christians, wherever they land need to be really open handed and acknowledge the profound complexity here. Um, And yeah, I don't, I don't, that's, that's where I'm like, I, when people like you and a few other friends say, okay, what, what else could I have done? I, I have to say, I don't know. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, and- I think, I think where we need to go with this in, in my opinion, I think where we need to go is to try to find better diagnostic criteria. Because right now I think that the diagnostic criteria we use suck. Yeah. To put it. What, so from my knowledge, most quote unquote experts in this field, a lot of there's, there's, it's really, po- it's pretty, there's few who <laughs> are, are taking therapeutic approaches that are really robust and thoughtful and, and, and profound. Um, the majority that when people say I went to go get therapy, the person typically is not as qualified as they may seem. I, I am curious, is there, 
do you think there is a possibility of some kind of therapeutic measures that is extremely maybe rare? Um, maybe it's the future will bring us some kind of therapeutic measure that will actually be successful at resolving the dysphoria. Like, do you think that that's a possibility or I don't know? Um, I, I don't know. I think if there is one, it probably lies in the, in, in the, you know, the field of, of neuroplasticity, but I'm really skeptical because, you know, I would think that given what neuroplasticity, the way I understand neuroplasticity works, where, where you, you know, you rewire your brain by yeah. certain things, I would think that my brain would have been rewired a long time ago to be fully male, right? Because I tried really, really hard, you know? Yeah. I mean, I tried like, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't know what else I could have tried, you know? But Um, since, since you were pre-transition trying to resolve this for you, there's been a lot of advances in the last 10 years in, in, uh, neurological development, especially when it comes mm -hmm. to gender dysphoria. I mean, this is 10 years ago. It was like, Mm -hmm. I mean, people, we've come a long way because there's been so much research done on it. So I, I, and again, I'm not saying there is better therapy out there now than it was 10 years ago. I'm just, I'm wondering if, if, if there is, you know, um, cause I, you know, I'll hear other psych, you know, I'm some psychiatrists too. like St- Stella o, uh, O'Malley, the, uh, she's an Irish psychologist or psychiatrist, I think. And there's others like in the UK that when I hear them talk, they, they, I don't know. It seems more promising, but again, I, I'm, it might I don't be. really, I don't know the area, so I don't no. want to like speak beyond and get on my skis <laughs> on it. But. Yeah. You know, and, and for me, I think it's too late. It's, it's like, yeah, it's like I'm over six years old and, <laughs> and I have a life that is absolutely filled with joy, mm. um, with, you know, with faith, with, um, you know, yeah. friends and stuff like that. It's, but if you had somebody who was experiencing gender dysphoria as, as a child, and there were some way to, to resolve that through neuroplasticity, I have no idea what it would be. Right. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, it's worth looking for. Sure. Do you want to close this out or uh, I'll thank you. Thank you for being the host of Theology and Rock today. <laughs> <laughs> Hope I was a good guest. Well, <laughs> you were an awesome guest and you were a pretty good host too, because you kind of, you know, you were a little bit ambiguous there, you know, you might've been a trans host or something. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, really love you appreciate you thanks Seda appreciate All you right. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network.